To walk around downtown Wilmington is to be surrounded by history. And yet, for the dozens and dozens of historic structures that survive today, there are hundreds and hundreds that no longer exist. Disproportionately, the buildings that survived are those that were of importance to white Wilmingtonians, while those of importance to black residents of our historically segregated city were disproportionately demolished. But it didn't have to be that way. Earlier this week, we published a story in the Star News revealing that, in the early 1980s, the city of Wilmington commissioned a study documenting more than 100 historic sites and structures of importance to the black community, many of them in downtown's historically black north and south sides. The report languished, however, and eventually was largely forgotten. Until now. This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the legends, historical oddities, and landmark stories of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, John Staten, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington. We're a Gannett paper that's part of the USA Today network. My guest today is Matthew Prinsky, the regional investigative reporter for the USA Today network's North Carolina East Group, which includes the Star News. He uncovered the report that was commissioned and eventually forgotten by the city. His story explores the impact of that, while also looking at efforts to preserve some of the still-endangered structures that survive. Okay, so I'm here with Matthew Prinsky. Matthew, thank you for sitting down with us. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, uh, the story is just fascinating, and um, it's just, you know, it touches on a lot of stuff that I didn't know about, and uh, that's one of the fascinating things, but it's just a kind of a deep dive into a subject we haven't often done a deep dive into. So just to start out, first of all, I think it's kind of based, your story is based a lot on this survey that was done in the early 80s. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about who did the survey and how you, and how you um, found out about it. So the survey was done by Edward Turbrook. He did a lot of work for the city in the 80s of just surveying neighborhoods for their historic significance as part of applications that they would put in for grants and stuff like that. And he was really an expert yeah. Uh, on on, yeah. on architectural history. You know, Ed was a fascinating person. I was telling you before this that, you know, he was, I took a class with him in the 90s, and he was just, I still remember a lot of the stuff he talked about. I, I know what a ramekin is because of what Ed talked about. Um, and uh, he had a kind of funny little Raleigh fingers, kind of fancy mustache, and he was very, and, but on the report he did, it's like a book. I mean, it's a book on, you know, historic black sites in Wilmington. That's the impressive thing, because if you think about it, this is 1982, 1983, yeah. the level of detail that he goes into, he tracks some of these properties back to the late 1800s, and that, wow. that information is not easy to come by. And well, especially then, there was no internet, okay? Yeah. There was no email, there was no, there was no internet at all. So yeah, he did this all through digging through, you know, historic records. That, and so that's how I found out about the, the, the report is Cynthia Brown, who's in the story, and she mentioned, I talk yeah. about this a little bit in the story, she was the human resources director for the city in the mid-90s, and she's very into history. She's now the historian yeah. at St. Stephen's. She told me about the story of she was working late one night, a coworker of hers came up to her and told her about this report that the city did in the 80s. Yeah. It would, you know, the city wanted to figure out where its historic black sites were, their significance and, and all in an effort to try and preserve them. But nothing ever happened with the report. It sort of gathered dust. The, the employee implied that the city wanted the report to fall into obscurity. They weren't happy with the results. And it was really odd to her that they yeah. would do that. No, because, I mean, you brought, I mean, like, you printed out this whole thing. You brought it over my desk, and it's like, a, and like you said, it's a book. 
And it's just, it was, um, it's just surprising to me that all this work went into something, then kind of nothing happened with it. They, $5,000 they spent to do it, and yeah. then they would never do anything with it. And that led a lot of people who were, who pushed for the report to be done to say, well, why would you do that? Why would you give us the money to go do this report and then do nothing with it? And it led a lot of people to say it was racism. Yeah, and that's so, let's get into that and talk about, yeah, because at the time, a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that was being preserved, and not a lot of it was um, historic to the black community. What? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, you that's, know, the 70s and 80s in Wilmington was a time of, you know, high, high-level preservation. There's a lot of things being preserved, um, but apparently not a, lot of, not a lot of them were on the north side, where a lot of the black people lived, and, you know, were in the, or the south side as well. Um, a lot of those just weren't preserved. That's, that's sort of the point that they make, is that Wilmington at the time was, was re, revitalizing its downtown. Right. It was preserving the Olmey Mansion, which the people yep. that helped build Gibbon Lodge also helped build the Olmey Mansion. Yeah. So it was this idea of, well, you're pouring millions and, and lots of money into the downtown area, but yeah. you're not doing anything with the north side, the south side, historically black areas. Yeah. You know, Tony Payne, who was on the council in that time period from the late 70s to the 90s, he told me that the council wasn't necessarily racist at the time, but they weren't—they were far from racially correct. Is right, how, is how right. he put it. Yeah, so they weren't necessarily actively racist, but they weren't—you know—maybe tacitly um, that in the result of you know what the policy was. Yeah. So you mentioned Gibbon Lodge, and I want to talk about that because that's kind of the centerpiece of your story. Um, John Jeremiah Sullivan who's a wonderful writer, lives here in Wilmington. He told you, I believe, and he's. Um, told me as well that it's uh, he considers it to be one of the most important you know black historic buildings in the state, if not the most important. It's a building of first. I mean, th- what I find most impressive about Gibbon Lodge is it's built so early after slavery. It's built yeah. in 1871, s- six years after the end of slavery, mm-hmm. and the, it's the first three-story uh, building built and designed by African Americans in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's the second oldest Masonic Lodge in North mm-hmm. Carolina. It housed one of the first libraries in Wilmington, one of the first skating rinks in Wilmington. It's a building. I think it's skating. That's, that just that blows my mind because you walk past it. It's about an eighth. It's about an eighth and princess, right? Yeah. And it's it's a substantial building. Yeah. And I I've walked past that thing for many years, and you know, kind of wondered, oh, it's kind of a cool looking building. Um, and it's just been very recently that anything has any kind of activity has um happened around it. Uh, Raymond Mott, who I believe is um, with the, um, the Masonic Order over there, and that's who kind of owns the building? Yeah, well, so if you walk by the building, it doesn't look like anything. It right. just looks like another decaying property on the north side. Right. And that's sort of the crazy thing about this story, is unless you stop and really look at it, yeah. you don't really know it's significant or notice it. But yeah, it wasn't until last year in May that they partnered with the Historic Wilmington Foundation to try and restore the building, because it had been... Decades. Yeah. Well, and I've been in, because I was there at the press conference when they kind of announced, you know, they were kind of doing this partnership with Historic Wilmington Foundation, who I believe has gotten at least some grant money for mm-hmm. them. Um, it's going to take, uh, I think, the estimates to restore it are between 500000 and a million. Yeah. Um, and you go to the, like the first floor where we were, it looks pretty good. The whole reason that first yeah. floor looks good is because of Raymond Mott. Yeah. He sunk his own money yeah. into painting it, getting wow. the pews and all of that. If not, it would have looked at the second and third story. Yeah. Well, he's no, he's a he, he's an impressive man for sure. And, um, yeah, but as you go up into the building, it's 
needs a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, if you go up to the second floor, there's furniture everywhere. There's tarping everywhere because they have to put tarps over the broken yeah. windows to keep the animals out, but the yeah. tarps blow off or fall down. Then you go up to the third story, there's pigeon yeah. excrement everywhere because yeah. of the residents. Well, right, and it's, yeah. um, well, and yeah. just in terms of it being an important building, it seems like it was kind of one of the centers of the black community. I mean, it was 1898. I think that's where a lot of the black leaders met to kind of figure out what we're going to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's um so it would be wonderful to see that building kind of what is their vision for it? Like what would they in like a best case scenario, what does he want to kind of see happen and kind of have that place be in the future? I mean the the, the, the perfect situation is they raise a million dollars, they can restore the building to its its former glory. I think the first things they want to do is redo the roof. Yeah. It's, well, that's it's in shambles. Yeah. Right. And then patch up all the windows just to make sure it's weather tight. Yeah. But I think they really want to make sure that they can restore Giblum and create this partnership for other black historic sites yeah. so it can almost serve as a roadmap to see how they did it and yeah. so other sites can, can do the same. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it's like, you know, and we have to say it's, it's far from a done deal, right? I mean, it's uh, hopefully the best case scenario will happen, but uh, there's a possibility that they don't raise the money. And then, as you said, um, told me earlier, it's in a kind of a gentrifying neighborhood where there's a bunch of kind of stuff popping up there's breweries there's restaurants there's you know it's um it's a valuable property um and i think you said it's right on the edge of the historic district or yeah. the central business so it's, tell me a little bit about that because because you can tell it's right on the edge because in the building next to it there's a mural which is not allowed in the you know the, the uh, strictly downtown part so it's it's in this really awkward spot where it's right next to a local historic district right. which would make if you're in a local historic district in Wilmington you have to go to the historic preservation committee right. to go get any sort of changes you want proved to the building Giblum is right on the edge of that there are about one parcel of land outside of it and so wow. they're in this sort of urban urban planning right. district where right. they want to enhance the historic form of the area yeah but you can still redesign buildings however you want. Okay. So it's kind of, it's an awkward space for them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the other um, places that you looked into. I mean, you think this, um, the, uh, I'm reporting that Ed did identified over 100 properties, and I, th and I think 26 of those are definitely gone. Yes. Um, and so let's talk about some of the ones that are gone, and then maybe talk about some of the ones that are still with us. Um, what are some, well, first of all, to start off, I knew, everyone knows about Williston, you know, high school. I'm the former Williston High School, now Williston Middle School. I didn't know that there was a Williston Primary School about two blocks away from that. It's, again, just credit to, to Mr. Turberg for doing yeah. all this work. It It's really impressive to go around to all these places and see what they used to be and see what they are today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some of the places that are gone, you have... A community hospital on South 7th Street that was opened in 1921. The county took over in 1934. It's no longer there. One of the homes of the people who helped found the hospital, uh, the Foster or the Burnett Bowden House, yeah. that, that home's not there. You have the home of, of Andrew J. Walker, who was on the board of aldermen in Wilmington in the 1800s, and then a state representative for New Hanover County and the legislature in the 1800s. That's yeah, because it's interesting, you'll see a lot of, you know, these historic signs, you know, so-and-so was an important, you know, politician or whatever, and those people are almost always white. Yeah. So we don't necessarily have the sights of uh, some of the important black politicians of the day. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the, uh, there's a wonderful map with the story online, 
that um, everyone should check out because just to click through some of those, um, prop, there was a Brooklyn Theater right near where the 1898 park is. It says, I don't know what the Brooklyn Theater was, but it would be cool to have it. <laughs> it's an empty lot now. Yeah. And that's that's one of the crazy things is you go to some of these sites that are gone. Yeah. And it's not even that there's still a structure there right. or anything. It's just an empty lot. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the historic sites that um, are either, you know, have been preserved or, um, or maybe kind of on the borderline. Um, I know Giblin is one on the borderline. Um, now, Ed did include, Ed Turberg did include in the study a lot of places, you know, like Thalian Hall, which is important to the entire community, not just the black or white community. Um, I think you said the, one of the cemeteries is on there. Yeah. But then uh, but then there's a bunch that are, you know, I think uh, the home of uh, Katarina Yarborough, who was an mm -hmm. international opera singer, yeah. um, is one of the ones. What are some of the other um, ones that, there are several churches that are on there. Oh, that's that's the really impressive thing about the report is it's very diverse in terms of, of you know, churches and schools and, and, and all sorts of things that he identified. Peabody School yeah. is, is on the list and it's still preserved. Um, Campbell Square, which it's still around, but somewhat yeah. not, because that's sort of the area that it was. What was Campbell Square? Uh, Campbell Square was where basically the Peabody School was. It's where First Baptist is. Okay. I yeah. believe it's where that is. Yeah. Um, it was a significant area. It was it deeded to the community yeah. um, a long time ago, but it sort of changed hands now. Yeah. Well, then, what you know? What looking back, what could have been done to kind of save some of these? Like, what are some of the things that you know maybe didn't happen that um, some of the people you talked to think should have happened? Well, so th that's sort of the tricky part about this is yeah. historic preservation. You have to have the property owner being willing to do it. This right. is their property; they can do whatever they want with it. Some of the things that could have been done differently, if. Wilmington had embraced some of these properties yeah. earlier or had listened to the report because the whole point of the report was right. to save these properties. Right. They could have expanded their local historic district farther into the north side or the south side. Right now it's not that big and right. it doesn't protect many properties. They could have done that. They could have poured more money into these resources. I mean, the whole reason Giblin hasn't been preserved is, as they say, they're not millionaires. They don't right. have the money to save themselves. Right. Um, so they could have done that. I mean, it's a tricky problem because a lot of the properties on the list aren't in the local historic district. They're in the national historic district, which right. is great, but that doesn't save them at all. That just gives the property owner a financial incentive to, to save the property, but right. it's still their choice. Right, because a lot of these, you know, like, like the National Register of Historic Places, I don't think that really offers, it offers some nice recognition, but there's no real protection, right? Right, right. And I think you can get, you can maybe get tax credits to kind of help restore your property, but there's not, that's the, that's more of an incentive than a real, you know, protection of, of a historic site. Right. Um, well, so where do we go from here? Where do we, you know, what are the next, I know it's probably an individual case with each individual property, but, um, you know, what are the next steps for, uh, you know, kind of maybe preserving some of these properties? I know that the Historic Women Foundation and Travis Gilbert are, really involved in kind of expanding their mission, um, maybe from what it was in the past? There are a lot of different ways they can go about it. I mean, obviously, the Historic Wilmington Foundation can partner with more properties, and they're doing that with Giblin, and that can create a roadmap for other properties. I think that's what Giblin really wants to see, is yeah. they serve as a roadmap for other properties to save and preserve what they have. But I think the other option is expanding the local historic district. So more properties have to go to the Historic Preservation Committee or Commission um, to get exterior changes approved. And that's a whole other way you can get people 
and properties to be preserved is by having that regulatory check. So there are a couple ways to do it, both private and publicly. Interesting. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. And uh, this is just a wonderful story. And, uh, you know, it's um, people who are interested in Wilmington history um, should really check it out. Thank you so much for taking time. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and our look at the destruction and preservation of historic black landmarks. We'll be back soon with another chapter of Wilmington history. Till then, make sure you're a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content from each episode and links to all my coverage of local history for the Star News. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter that goes out every Thursday. Sign up for the newsletter at starnewsonline.com newsletters. Cape Fear and Earth was written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, John Staten. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. This podcast was made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear and Earth by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream this show so you never miss an episode. While you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear and Earth. Till then, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what you might unearth.